0: The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 40 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 37, To Conquer a Colossus. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, art by Don Heck, with letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in February of 1967. Taking a look at our cover, that's not bad. There's a lot of white space going on, and we all know how I feel about that. And I wish we would have seen the Colossus's face a little bit more for a villain that's going to play a significant role in the issue. I'd like to get a good look at him. Otherwise, the colors and the inks are really nice. So, picking up where we left off last issue, the Avengers have all either been captured or incapacitated by the Ultroids. And in this opening splash page, we get our best look at the Ultroids so far. And again, they really do remind me of Golems. And their faces are really kind of interesting here. We see a lot more detail than we've seen before. And it gives them a very strange, certainly not very human look. They feel very artificial. And that works very well for these characters. So now at this point, since XR, the supercomputer that is directing the Ultroids, has captured all of the Avengers, he inserts them into the tubes that will allow him to use his ability assimilator to take the powers of the Avengers, distribute them among the Ultroids, making them the most powerful warriors in the galaxy, and allowing him to finally defeat his enemies. And it's kind of funny here because Goliath has a very almost meta-commentary on comics as a whole while he's in this cylinder and he says it's almost beyond belief a flying saucer with a crew of ray blasting androids has come to earth for the express purpose of stealing the avengers superpowers Let's be honest, this is a pretty ridiculous story, as are most superhero comics, at least of this era. But we buy the comics and we love them anyways. So I don't think it was intended as any kind of deep meta commentary on the comics industry, especially at this point in time. But it is really amusing when a character calls out a ridiculous situation like this. Now, I do really love the appearance of the cylinders that the Avengers have been put in. The way that Don Heck has done them, it really looks like they are behind glass, where the cylinder doesn't really impede our ability to see the Avengers, but it's obvious that there is something in between the reader and the Avengers. And it looks a lot like glass. It's a very well executed effect. Now I think right here we have my favorite part of the issue where Hawkeye goads Altrana, the head Ultroid, who last issue was impersonating Scarlet Witch for a while, Hawkeye goads her into providing the backstory to Ixar. Ixar really has just kind of mentioned that he has been in this long-running war against his enemies, and that he wasn't always this supercomputer. And that's about all we got last issue. Now, is actually going to lay out all of Ixar's history. And again, the first thing that comes to my mind here is the line from The Incredibles, is that you've got me monologuing hawkeye has convinced the villain to just talk endlessly and buy the team time before the villain kills the heroes and it's just it's hysterical that villains allow themselves to be put into these situations but, needless to say, Ultrana goes forth and tells the story of Ixar, and basically what's going on is that there is this thousands of years long thermonuclear war between these two star systems. One of them is inhabited by Ixar and his people, and another inhabited by a different race, and the two of them are in constant warfare, to the point where the entirety of each race has been wiped out except for Ixar and some counterpart leader to the other race, that's unmentioned unseen, and both of these men do their fighting through the these Ultroids. And this other race assaults Ixar's stronghold, and although they're driven back, it's at great cost, and Ixar himself is mortally wounded, and so he uses this device to transfer his consciousness into an ancient computer. And once he does, he has this brilliant idea of going out into the cosmos and looking for other human races that are out there and trying to find one that is capable of greater powers, which he'll use to enhance his Ultroids. So that meshes up pretty well with the story we've gotten so far. Looking at it from a historical perspective, Roy Thomas has managed to weave in a cautionary tale about unending War. Again, this is 1967. We're not that far removed from the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the prospect of this kind of doomsday nuclear war is still fairly fresh in people's minds. You know, the kids who read this comic probably don't fully understand what happened, but at least have memories of living through the Cuban Missile Crisis and the fear that was invoked. For a more modern audience, I think one of the things we can take away from this is the idea of the unending war and in the use of drone soldiers as human replacements. The implication here is that this war continues on much longer than it ever would have with human soldiers because of the toughness and the durability and the survivability of these Ultroids, and i i see that as a warning to us as modern readers that think we can all agree that these drones that we use now have some part to play in warfare but that we need to put serious thought into removing the sting of death from conflicts like that because if there really aren't any consequences or the consequences are much lower, what reason do we have to not pursue these conflicts? Also within this tale, it's really interesting the level of concern the Ultroids show for Ixar. They are actually very concerned when he is mortally wounded. And it kind of makes me wonder exactly what's going on with the Ultroids and how much of just a mindless automaton they really are if they're capable of showing this much care. How close are they to actual sentience as opposed to just being controlled? The final thing I want to point out here, which the story unfortunately doesn't really go into depth on, is that Ixar is out in the universe looking for human populations with special abilities. And the first people he finds on Earth that meet his description are Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, who are mutants. And I think it's worth pointing out that although Ixar immediately assumes that because they are part of this team and their teammates have similar powers, that they must be related somehow, but that among the Avengers, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are the only two mutants. Goliath, Wasp, and Captain America all got their power from various scientific experiments, and at least at this point in time it's generally considered that Hawkeye doesn't have any special abilities. So I kind of wonder if, although Ixar picked up the Avengers, if he was really only looking for mutants and would have been better served by a team like the X-Men. Just kind of an interesting thought experiment, something to think about, that maybe Ixar made a few assumptions he shouldn't have and picked up the wrong superhero team. Now, as Ultron's story is coming to an end, Ixar announces that they're preparing for liftoff, and the spaceship begins to take off, and I kind of feel like at this point the Avengers forgot they were on a spaceship because there's a definite moment of, oh crud, we're going into space from the Avengers, and it certainly affects the ending of this story. Now, while Ultrana has been talking, Goliath realizes that because Ixar got most of his information from the captured Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, that means that Ixar doesn't know that Goliath can shrink back down to his Ant-Man size. Remember, that's a recent development as of two issues ago, before Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver rejoined the Avengers. And I love this because Stan Lee having handed off the reins of writing to Roy Thomas in the middle of a storyline, this tells me that there is a lot of continuity between the writers, and I really like that. It's very, very seamless. It's very well executed that Thomas is able to pick up, almost without you noticing, from Stan Lee. Like I said, there's a little bit of Difference in the writing style. Thomas is a little bit more conversational in his dialogue than Stanley was. Stan was a little bit more pompous, isn't the right term. Grandiose, I think, is probably a better term. But people felt like they were making declarations and speeches a lot more in Stan's work than in what we've seen of Roy Thomas so far. So Goliath shrinks down to his Ant Man size and when the guard notices that he is missing, Goliath reappears in his normal size, takes out the guard, and frees Captain America. Cap immediately goes and picks up his shield, and the pair begin to free the rest of the Avengers. And now that the team is fully assembled, they have a much better time of fighting against the Ultroids than they did previously, in part because there are now six of them instead of four, and I think also in part because the Ultroids were waiting for the Avengers last time. This time, the Avengers are able to catch the Ultroids off guard. And the Avengers are just more aggressive here. I mean, they are very, very aggressive in taking out Ultroids. And eventually, they get to a point where Ultrana and the rest of the Ultroids throw down their weapons and actually surrender. Which, is a little unexpected, given most superhero villains. But, you know, I guess it happens. So, as the team does a little bit of self-congratulation and figures out what to do about the Ultroids, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch realize that Ixar is still holding the burgomeister and this really turns out to be Ixar's ace up his sleeve, in that if the Avengers don't stand down, he will electrocute the burgomeister Because remember, the burgomeister is still hooked up to all of these different devices. Now, with Wanda and Pietro insisting on going back after the Burgermeister, this indicates to me that there is at least some semblance of truth to the story that Ultrana told when she was in disguise as Scarlet Witch. And what I mean by that is that the Burgermeister and the village in general have changed their attitude towards Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Had they not, I don't think that Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver would be quite so eager to go save the man. Now, again, admittedly, this is kind of an Avengers thing. You save people even when you don't agree with them, even when you don't feel like they deserve saving. It's still what you do because you're a superhero. But the pair are very intent on finding the Burgermeister and making sure he is free. They very specifically call out that they have forgotten to go and free him. So that tells me that he and the town have, in fact, changed their attitudes. While the Avengers are debating with Ixar what to do, the Burgermeister says, hey, don't let him use me against you, just leave me, flee, don't worry, I'll sacrifice myself, it's okay. And Captain America quotes an Avengers code that forbids us to harm any living being or to allow one to come to harm. And that is very reminiscent of one of the Three Laws of Robotics by Isaac Asimov. For those who are unfamiliar with the Three Laws of Robotics, they premiered in a short story written. By Asimov in 1942, and they go as follows A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Sound familiar? A robot must obey orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And finally, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. These are fairly well-known tenets of science fiction, so the fact that we get a reference here to something similar in a superhero comic, which often is considered a genre of science fiction, is not all that surprising, but it is an interesting uh, point worth noting. So while the Avengers feel like they have worked themselves and Ixar into a stalemate, Ixar has yet another play available to him, and that is to absorb all of his Ultroids, and to create the aforementioned Colossus. As he does, so first the Ultroids start to glow, then they disappear, then the computer that is generally accepted as Ixar, starts to shake violently, shooting off sparks, which if you have dealt with electronics or electrical machinery, none of that is a good thing. Sparks and vibrations, never a good thing. But as this all comes to a crescendo, out of this mess appears the Colossus, who is in this white and silver machinery armor, and has this orangish face, again similar to the color of the Ultroids. And in fact, in the panel in which the Colossus appears, it actually reminds me a lot of Mongol from DC Comics, most notably in recent memory in the Green Lantern and Sinestro Corps comics, though this issue predates that character by about 13 years. So, certainly one is not drawn from the other, I don't think, but there is a, a visual similarity there. And this Colossus announces himself as Ixar the Invincible because all good villains like this really need an adjective at the end. XR the Invincible! And it's clear from really the first second that Ixar comes out, the Avengers are going to have to throw down with him, and so they waste no time in doing so. Initially, Quicksilver begins to harass Ixar, and although Quicksilver is much faster, he's a little impulsive and is caught off guard by a stun blast from Ixar. So Quicksilver's down pretty quick, although he's not fully out. But of course, because of the bond between them, Scarlet Witch rushes to help Quicksilver and is only just able to stop Ixar's energy blast using her hex powers, at which point, Goliath takes over. And although the Avengers are kind of going at this piecemeal I do really like the fact that they're working together as a team they're coming to each other's aid. They did so last issue, although it wasn't quite as effective, but Quicksilver and Captain America start off using what they refer to as Plan D, which, although the plan itself is never particularly detailed as to what it is, obviously they are using a strategy that they have already planned out and already trained on. And again, Goliath stepping in just as Scarlet Witch's powers are getting ready to fail, it starts to indicate to me that they have a pretty good understanding of each other's limits and when one another needs help. And I really appreciate this from Goliath, because as I've talked about recently in a lot of ways it really felt like he was the outsider on the team he's the original member come back he's constantly butting heads with Hawkeye when you watch the Avengers work out he's off doing his own thing and this feels like Goliath slowly reintegrating into the team proper. Now Goliath is able to wail on Ixar pretty substantially because he is incredibly strong but Ixar manages to outsmart Goliath and wraps him up in some cabling and then electrifies the cabling to electrify and shock Goliath. Now, as soon as this happens, Captain America comes in and has what I would call a more successful go at things with Ixar. So Goliath runs in and he just starts using brute force. And even though Hank Pym is one of the smartest people in the Marvel Universe, this really isn't where his skill set, his intelligence lie. He's not a natural fighter. He's not a tactician. Captain America is. Cap has been trained specifically to fight enemies in this kind of close combat to analyze their attacks to find weaknesses and to exploit them. And we see that different fighting style between the two characters in these couple pages. I love the fact that these characters do have different fighting styles and even more than that I love that the art shows us that. Captain America is smaller and not nearly as strong as either Ixar or Goliath. But in a lot of ways he manages to get the best of Ixar because of his superior skills. Now, even with all of this in mind, the Avengers start to fall by the wayside. Goliath has been shocked. Captain America, while blocking a energy blast, is basically knocked out. Wasp is again shocked and knocked out while she is harassing Ixar. And although Scarlet Witch is able to disable Ixar, it turns out only to be a momentary thing because Ixar's internal workings are self-repairing, which, by the way, is really cool. And Ixar managed just to capture her in one of the ability assimilator tubes. So this leaves Black Widow and Hawkeye once again as the sole escaping members of the Avengers. Earlier in the issue, when the rest of the Avengers had been captured and put into their tubes, because Black Widow isn't an Avenger and doesn't have any superpowers, there wasn't a tube for her, so Ixar just had her put off to the side out of the way to be dealt with later. When the Avengers were freed, Hawkeye, with Cap's blessing, left To go find Black Widow. Well now the pair has returned only to see that for the most part their team has been entirely defeated. But Hawkeye and Black Widow are onto something and they've come to the conclusion that the Burgermeister is in fact the mortal form of Ixar. At this point Scarlet Witch is still conscious although she is trapped in the tube and she is dumbfounded by this accusation at which point Hawkeye explains that while he was going around the ship he had some time to think and that he has come to this conclusion and as it turns out he's come to this conclusion correctly that the burgomeister is in fact Ixar in his mortal form and that he replaced the original burgomeister several weeks ago now my problem here is that it's never really explained how Hawkeye came to this conclusion I love this plot twist: This is a great, great plot twist. I had absolutely no idea this was coming, which is, I think, one of the things that makes a great plot twist. I wish they had backed it up with more evidence in the story. As good a job as they did leaving hints that Ultrana wasn't Scarlet Witch, I think they could have done just as good a job dropping hints that the Burgermeister was, in fact, Ixar. And it disappoints me that they didn't do that, and that no effort was made to explain how Hawkeye came to this conclusion. It's obvious that there is some justification out there that Roy Thomas, Don Heck had something in mind and they just never really fleshed it out. As Hawkeye and the burgomeister Ixar, are staring each other down in what amounts to a Mexican standoff. Because although the burgomeister isn't holding a weapon, he has the Colossus ready to strike Hawkeye. And Hawkeye has a blast arrow drawn on Ixar. So either way, both men will be destroyed. So Mexican standoff. But unfortunately for Hawkeye, Ixar was paying enough attention to what Captain America said to throw the Avengers code back in Hawkeye's face in that he knows that Hawkeye won't kill, that Hawkeye's not gonna do it. The problem here with Ixar's thinking is that he assumes everyone here is an Avenger, and in fact, Black Widow is not. As we saw in earlier discussions last issue, although Hawkeye wants her to be a member, she is not currently an Avenger and doesn't feel that she is bound by the Avengers code. So she, in fact, threatens Ixar's life, and it's very clear that she is not playing around. As a result, Ixar decides that it is in his best interest to return the Avengers back to Earth, and that he's gonna go look elsewhere for similarly powered human beings. Now, personally, if I were XR, I would be a little bit more upset about my plan falling apart like this, but I guess to each his own. And XR leaves the Avengers on Earth and peacefully departs. And really, all that's left for the Avengers to do is to explain to the villagers in Transia that the Burgermeister has died a hero, because they don't want to tell them that the Burgermeister has been replaced by someone else, and to an extent I can see an argument being made for the Burgermeister being a hero. So that's the end of our issue. Overall, I find the ending a bit rough. One, like I've already talked about, I take issue with the fact that Hawkeye's realization of Ixar's true identity isn't explained very well, and I think that takes away from the story a little bit. The other thing I have an issue with is the idea that it's okay for Hawkeye to relinquish his responsibilities to this Avengers code by allowing Black Widow to take these actions. It feels like Hawkeye's trying to get out on a technicality. If he were really so steadfast to this code, to this oath that he took, then he should hold his companion to that same standard, at least while in his presence. Also, Black Widow is looking to gain membership in the Avengers. So her willingness to violate this code really doesn't look very good on her, for lack of a better term, membership application. The Avengers aren't going to want to add someone to their team that obviously doesn't uphold the same values as they do. Now having said that, as will be pointed out in our next issue, the only two people who've seen that are Hawkeye and Black Widow. So what they do with that information will be important. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we'll be taking a look at Avengers number 38, in our midst, an immortal. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here, I don't know what it is but I want to try it